Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nisbomer-Naflik. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. Hello, welcome, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Cole, and I am excited today to be chatting with Kenneth Field. Ken, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Hi, Cole. Good to be here, or good to be at home, but to be here as well. Thanks, thanks very much for inviting me. Ken is a cartographer. He's principal software product engineer at Esri, where he spends his time talking about and writing about maps. Speaking of writing about maps, he's also the author of the award-winning book, Cartography. Now, I first came across Ken's work back when we were still getting together in person at the Tapestry Conference in 2019. And it seems to me like since that point, every conversation I've been in where the topic of maps has come up, so has Ken's name. Uh, that's so, not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> no, it, it, it comes up in a good way. And we're doing a few things related to maps at Storytelling with Data this month. So it seemed like the perfect time for us to get to better know Ken's work, as well as to share it with everyone here today. So just quickly, for those who are tuning in live, you'll have the opportunity to help steer our conversation through your questions. You can do that by sticking those at any point into the chat window. I'll be monitoring that and incorporating it into our conversation as we go along. So to kick things off, Ken, for those watching and listening who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about you, your background, what led you into this field, the path your career has taken? Sure. Uh, so uh, you'll probably all gather by now that I'm I'm not uh, an American. So I'm from the UK, although I now live and work in America. I grew up in a, a city called Nottingham, right in the middle of uh, the UK. And uh, often people say, "Well, how did you? How did you?" generate an interest in maps. Now, I can't really put my finger on it, but I, I do know my father was a geologist. We spent most of our summers out in Norway doing field work. He and his students were constantly drawing maps by hand with all, you know, all the beautiful geological maps with colored pencils and things. And I guess in some way that, that must have inspired me. And I went on to do a cartography bachelor's degree in the UK and graduated from that at just about the point at which GIS, Geographical Information Systems, was killing traditional cartography. So all of the sort of skills I'd learned with pens and uh, photomechanical techniques were now replaced by the computer. So you had to retool very quickly, and this has become a theme of cartography over the years, you have to kind of adapt uh, or get left left behind. And I, I fell into teaching. I went to then spent 20 years in UK universities in academia, teaching map design, leading GIS courses, and then in 2011, I had the opportunity to just completely change tack and, you know, try something different. And um, I joined Esri in Southern California. Been here now for 10 years, uh, almost to the day. And it's wonderful. I, I basically get to do everything I did as an academic, you know, teach and write and help people make better maps. Um, I just don't have to grade student work anymore, which is uh, which is pleasing. Um, so that, that's a very, very brief, brief overview of, of where I'm where I'm from, what I do. So let's start with a super basic 
question, which is when should someone turn to a map when they've got data that they want to visualize? What's the right scenario or how should we be thinking about this? Yeah, so I, I guess you'd expect a cartographer to say you should always put something on a map, but I, I kind of I come at it from a slightly different perspective. Um, I mean, all maps are based on data, whether it's a topographic or a thematic map. Uh, and I guess here today we're going to talk mostly about thematic mapping. That's mapping of themed informational population-based data or some empirical data. But you, you turn to a map when it's the where that matters, you know, the spatial component, the geography, where you want to compare a variable perhaps between and among places or seeing what a relationship is between variables in a specific place or comparing patterns across space that have changed over time. Uh, you know, perhaps understanding how my situation compares to your situation, you know, where we live may be very, very similar. It may be very, very different. And um, those are the interesting questions. So it's it's when the where component is critical. And the danger, of course, is often that, um, you know, people will people will automatically go to a map if the data has some sort of locational component of which most data does. But you don't necessarily need to use that in order to tell the story you want to tell. And are there specific questions? So someone's got some geographic data, they're thinking about using a map. Are there specific questions they can pose beyond just the where being important that'll help either direct them toward or away from a map as a good choice? It's it's really whether you want your map reader to be able to understand the geography of what it is you're looking at. You know, is, is th that's just the important question to ask. Um, and in many senses, you know, if, if you were just in the graphical realm and you, you want to, you know, put, pass your data through something that turns it into a bar chart or a line chart or, a, a you know, a scatter plot or whatever, you know, the, the process of selecting the type of visualization that might be appropriate to the data is, is the same, same for a map. And so I guess what you're really saying is there's a, there's a sort of a meta level here. You know, the, the initial question is, is, is my question or is my story better served by using a map or a graph? And possibly even a combination of both. Um, so that would be the, the key thing to ask that meta question for not not just go straight on in for a map head first or, you know, a, you always do a bar chart first. Well, maybe not. And then once someone has determined, okay, a map makes sense, there's a where component, there's something interesting about the geography that I want to be able to depict visually, what are the sorts of things that people should be doing and understanding about their data potentially before they just go straight to the map? Are there steps to take to understand the data? Uh, I would advise that for, for any sort of data visualization and a map is no different. And you know, depending on which camp you're in, you can argue that cartography is, in fact, just a form of data visualization anyway. It's a subset of, um, you, know, you know, some might say it's a completely different subset, but I kind of think it's a subset. And um, Do you fall into the former camp? I, I tend to think of cartography as a very special subset because mm -hmm. it comes with a, That's fair. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, its own set of things that help to define it. You know, I don't necessarily think of it as a, an art and a science that sits in its own bubble or its own little entity. Uh, I, I think it has a lot of parallels with, you know, visual communication, visual design, um, lots of different shared aspects. Um, but but yes, going back to the, the question, it, you know, always look at your data. 
I, I, I don't think, well, I, I think you, you, you're going to be awfully lucky if you can just pour data into a piece of software and out the other end pops a map that happens to work extremely well. Um, I think that's probably more luck by judgment, generally speaking. Um, I mean, a little bit of knowledge goes a long way to help you sort of, you know, navigate that path to a better map more easily. But yeah, looking at your data, understanding the distribution, um, you know, looking at basic descriptive statistics even to help you see what what what's in the data that's interesting. What do you want to tease out? Do you want to tease out commonality across a map or do you want to show outliers? Um, and there, there are ways you can design the map, obviously, that um, will help. Uh, lead the reader towards those conclusions um, and to help them to explore the map in in that particular way but but yes always always look at your data try to understand the data uh, the flip side to that of course is that a map can also still be used as an exploratory tool to, to just to look at the data I mean you quite often just make a map of data and you look at it and go well that's pretty boring there's no point in making the map um, or you know the map will magically reveal something to you that you hadn't even imagined so I, i'm not saying you know don't just play around with with the map as a vehicle to understand your data um the, the two two things um are very very complementary to one another but i think yeah it's it's useful to to say these words right because i think with tools and software making things so easy that a lot of people expect you can just push a button and something useful comes out the other end, which um, fortunately or unfortunately is not the case. You mentioned design and in your book, you talk about designing maps with intent, right? So all maps are designed, but some better than others, obviously. Are there specific components or aspects that make for a good map, things that always should be there or always should be done a certain way? I think it's it's not necessarily the the practical aspects that are helpful when I talk about design and intent. It's the thought and the thinking that goes in um, during the whole process of making the map. You know, the map itself is reduced a product of lots and lots of stuff. You know, our own experiences, our objectivity or subjectivity, what we're aware of, what we're not aware of, uh, and all of the other components. Uh, and the map is just the end product, really. Um, so the process is important. I think understanding the process is, is part of the way to making a better map. And I've also been very careful with my wording there. I, it's, it's hard to say, you know, this is a good map, this is a bad map. Um, it, it's, it's a very, um, you know, binary way of looking at, at cartography. I, I prefer to see things more on a grayscale from better through to poorer. And one of the ways in which you can you can tend towards making a better map is understanding more the person for whom you're making the map you know who, who's going to use it is far more important than you as the person that's making it and it has to function in a way that fits its fits its purpose uh, e even if that's just simply an ephemeral map that exists merely to please the eye you know i'm just making something illustrative or perhaps artistic Mm -hmm. um, you know, those maps are just as valid um, as perhaps the, you know, the one where we've got some hardcore statistics that we need to we need to relate to a, a certain audience. Um, I would I would air towards simplicity and symbolization rather than cluttering a map. I would air towards not trying to imbue too much into my symbols, you know, just to keep it as simple as 
as you possibly can. Uh, often muted colors work best. Limit the mix of typefaces, palettes. Uh, show restraint, I think. And mm. that that's that's part of the thinking process. That's part of you know explaining to yourself how the map needs to look, and then translating it into translating it into the final product through whatever you know software or other mechanism you have should should go easier and the end product should therefore be uh, purposeful more purposeful and when you say explain to yourself say more about that should people actually be verbalizing what they want to do with their maps or help me understand your thought process there uh, well i think that the process is going to differ depending on you know who you are and how you approach these sort of design tasks uh, for me, it's simply still a, get a piece of paper and a, a pen or a pencil and start sketching and start to see how the map evolves as a product of you just churning through the ideas in your mind. Um, you know, what is it you want to show? What is it you want to tell? How do you want to do this? Do you want to do this in a, a fairly austere manner? Perhaps you're publishing in a statistical textbook or maybe you want to put your map on the front page of a national newspaper, in which case the same data might need to be imagined in a, a perhaps a more um, attention-grabbing way, um, because you know you want readership. So that, that's that's really what I mean about by about trying to explain to yourself. You know, it's it's. A, I mean, I, I I won't say I have voices inside my head telling me how to do things, but um, you know, it's a little bit like that. It's, it's just sitting there in a quiet space and working things out and spending time thinking and also you know talking with your friends and colleagues and you know asking for opinions and bringing a lot of experience together can often help and this was one of the things that when you and I were chatting in preparation for this that we spent a little bit of time on that I find so interesting because you talked a little bit about you, you went to school to make maps and then GIS came along and changed everything. Can, can you talk about how the ease of creating in software has impacted the way that we think about and make maps? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, so I, I graduated in 1991 from my cartography degree and I'd learned all about, you know, how to use scribe coat and etching tools and um, dark rooms to, to do all sorts of stuff with photographic equipment to make maps and you know a map would take me 10 weeks to make but that 10 weeks was kind of interesting because you had to really deeply think about every mark you put on the map because if you made a mistake you might be uh, you know having to redo two weeks worth of work or you might have just wasted hundreds of dollars worth of you know m materials and it was expensive to make mistakes so you were kind of you kind of became attuned to having to get it right first time, but you had a nice amount of time in which to do that. Now, these days, technologies compress that time to basically nothing. I can make the same map now in about five minutes than it used to take me 10, 10 weeks to make. And that's Which brilliant. sounds like that's, an amazing thing, right? It is, but it is great, right? I mean, it's fantastic. Um, but there, there is a slight downside to it. Um, it's much easier. There's more data available. It's quicker to make every mark on a map, but those marks still require thought and application. So 
that's that's where I kind of see you know teaching about this as being vital because the more you can kind of understand a little bit about the, the map making or the map design process um, the quicker you can overcome that problem of compression of time because you'll you'll come to a better decision more quickly and um, you know if, if you make a mistake now it's not really a problem either I guess because you can easily fix it but do you fix it is the question do you do you accept that the software is just giving you the map or do you sit there and look at it a little bit critically and say oh, i'm not sure that actually does the job um, and, and as i said the great thing is the technology means that you can fix it very quickly um, if you're aware of what what you've done is perhaps suboptimal so i i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't go back to those olden days <laughs> i wouldn't do it um, well, but, it's interesting though, right? Because it means that we have to intentionally seek out that time for thought and intentionally do things like sketch and explain to ourselves so that we can slow down the process so that we can put some of that active thought into it versus just pushing the button. Yeah. I, and a lot which of means we can skip that part, which is a problem, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of maps now are made on very tight deadlines, and I'm not just necessarily talk, talking journalistic um, deadlines, but you know, I, I I meet so many people who have to make a map by, you know, this Friday or whenever it might be, and perhaps people that are commissioning work from cartographers maybe don't necessarily appreciate that, you know, you, you're you're going to pay that person partly for their thinking time. Or, you know, if you're just making a map because you want to mess about with some data, um, that's great. But I truly believe that that thinking, um, you know, using the computer up in our heads is is um, a major, major way to leading towards making a, a better map. Because you're, you're processing all sorts of stuff up there. It's, you know, maps I've seen in the past that have perhaps taken a particular aesthetic and I just suddenly go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And let me go and let me go and pick that out and hunt that out again. Um, you know, maybe I, I recall a map with a very, you know, very nice um, color palette and I, I need I need to go and hunt that out. And going back to a lot of that early work and, and finding stuff is part of that thought process. This reminds me of in the preface in your book, you outline your cartographic tenets, uh, right? So do things like uh, don't take shortcuts, do things right, or when in doubt, uh, do what's been done before, right? Follow best practices. Can you talk more about some of your tenets that you're thinking about, either when you're creating a graph or when you're helping guide or a map or when you're helping guide others? Yeah, I, I think. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't lay these tenets down as you know firm and fast or ch that everybody should follow. They work for me. There was nothing you could argue against as bad advice, though, right? It was all very I good advice. Know. I think hopefully, um, I mean, make the map, make the right map is is really just a just a sort of a you know a, a call. To say we don't always have to make a map. It's like we said at the start. Um, you know, if you're going to make a map, make it make it right. There's there's no there's no real shortcuts to to making the map right. But you may as well do the job. If you're going to do, do the job at all, you may as well 
you know do it to the best of best of your ability um but i do i do i do want to pick up on this idea of best practices because there's a whole there's a whole side of cartography based in academia as well as a whole side of cartography based in practice um, and in the map publishing industry and you know over over decades and longer best practices have emerged you know we better understand how people view symbols as signs we better understand how people see color in different ways and how that imbues meaning into a map uh, we better understand interaction now on our mobile devices and how people um, you know work with edgeless maps but which are constrained within a screen size you know a lot of a lot of these things are now better understood but they're not really rules uh, a lot of people start to think of um, a lot of map making as being rules based and it's not there's there's hardly any rules in cartography at all maybe i mean i probably think of one or two um you know where technically something just does not work because of a technical limitation of the map type or something um but it, it's always a, a good a good starting point to work with the best practices and if, if you kind of understand what many of those are i think you're well placed to break some of them you know you're, you're well placed to try to say okay well maybe maybe i can i can go a little bit beyond what convention might see me or suggest to me i should use and you know break the rules i mean rules are always there to be broken even though i've just said there are hardly any rules anyway but starting with best practices i think is a is a good tenet and um you know learning from what's gone before is a good tenet and you know there really is very little new um or genuine genuinely innovative i mean a lot of stuff that uh, that we see is is derived from what people have been making for hundreds of years and, and there's a whole other thing you know the history of cartography and, and i'm not saying everybody has to become a student of cartography or the history or you know understand all of this but a lot of stuff's been done and a lot of stuff's been done really well over many many years and that, they're great starting points for for learning and for doing your own work yeah i i just i find myself nodding uh, as you talk and i was finding as i was looking through your book and, and reading portions of it that i've felt like i've found a kindred spirit because so much of how we talk about helping think, people think about their data and their audiences when they're trying to design a graph it's it's the same right and it's it's because going back to what you said before that that cartography the map is just another way to look at data and a certain type of data when it's a certain story you want to be able to tell or a certain thing you want to be able to bring light to well it's a language right it's, yes. it's just a language yeah and it's uh i mean i i always go back to you know the sort of 1950s 60s with william balkin and Alice Coleman's, you know, um, claim that we should add a, a fourth ace to the pack, uh, numeracy, articulacy, literacy, and graphicacy, you know? We, uh, we, we I like how you say it, though. Uh, graphicacy <laughs> is how I would okay. have gotten for it. <laughs> but uh, well, graphicacy yeah. sounds let's, more Let's agree that academic, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, but, but it's true, you know, throughout, throughout our schooling, we learn how to hopefully learn how to speak very very vaguely eloquently we can learn to write and hopefully put words in broadly the right order um, some of us are more numerate than others 
and, and graphics is the same. It, it's a language and learning the syntax and learning what works and what doesn't work. You can talk absolute gibberish graphically, or you can have something, you know, speak eloquently. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I would, I, and that goes for whether we're talking about a, uh, you know, a beautifully structured histogram, if, if we're not going to lose people by talking about things like that, um, or a, or not, a nicely, not crowd. A nicely worked, <laughs> you know, nicely worked choropleth map, which is one of the most, you know, commonplace maps you could ever wish to use and a lot of people just think ah can we do something a bit more impressive well i don't think there's anything more impressive than an extremely well-made commonplace map type and that and that's you know that's that's graphicacy in action i would think absolutely and and we see this on the data side as well right or on the the graph uh, side, which is people looking for something beyond a bar chart, even though the best bar chart would actually serve things mm. well. Um, but since you mentioned choropleth as a common type of map, are there is there other nomenclature that people who maybe haven't been in the map world should know when they're thinking about making a map and wanting to investigate different types of maps that they might make or create? Uh, I, I think you know your your favorite software package will have a, a set of default map renderers of some form, and they're broadly going to be a choropleth map, which is sometimes referred to as a graduated color map, where you're looking at you know different shades of a color across a map. Darker means more, generally speaking, um, unless you're on a dark background like a screen, when in fact the inverse works better. Uh, proportional or graduated symbols are you know slightly different to one another but you're you're basically sizing a data magnitude by a symbol so larger tends to be seen as more um, <clears throat> interpolated surfaces um, they've they've become over the last 10 years referred to as heat maps but then they're not really heat maps a, a heat map is a sort of a very particular type of graph but I think you know the times the kind of thing I'm talking about which is maybe a contoured surface where you you know you have a hotter parts and cooler parts uh, equaling more or less of something um, dot density maps where individual dots are encoded with a value and given a size and then positioned across the map they they're they're very useful uh, and and they're probably the major categories of um, you know commonplace maps but you know you can go you can go into the world of cartograms which I happen to absolutely love, and some people really don't. You know, they're, they're, um, they they can lead to some fairly visceral reactions among people, depending on the type of weird, bizarre, misshapen geographies that you can generate. That's what I was going to ask. Is it about the shapes, or can you can you talk a little yeah. bit about a, what a cartogram is for those who may not be familiar? Okay, so a, a, a standard geographic map. Uh, let's let's start there. It's a familiar shape to most people and that's part of the beauty of using a ge geographical map um, but you soon run into problems and if you we just think of the the u.s states um, i mean not least the fact that you know alaska is this huge area of land that isn't even joined to the the lower 48 that presents its own problems but all of the states are very very different sizes uh, but you can't see them as anything other than what they are. That's that's it. That's the way in which the country's been divided up at state level. 
or the way in which it's it's you know formed over history at a state level but they also have very very different population densities and you end up with a lot of very large states with low population densities and a lot of small states with large population densities so for a map that often means you have small symbols uh, or not a lot that exhausts a lot of the real estate on your map and you have a lot of overlapping symbols or other stuff going on and making very crowded parts uh, of the highly populated places on the map now there are there are ways in which you can accommodate that to some extent on a geographical map but a cartogram will equalize um, space across the map so it might show every state um, as a proportion of its population or a proportion of the data that you're you're making and we would call that a, a population density equalizing cartogram to give it its you know full ridiculous to keep title. things simple <laughs> yeah exactly um and and they're the they're the um, weird misshapen geography type maps that you see that people sometimes look at and they're very very difficult to interpret unless there's a lot of labels and all sorts of other things going on um but you, you can make simplified um, cartograms like a gridded cartogram where perhaps each state is represented by a single hexagon or square of the same size and then that acts as a container into which you can put your data symbolized in some other way either through shades or even by embedding charts in, into the map um, there are other types of cartogram where you just turn um, the geographies into a consistent shape like a circle which are then reorganized across space uh, that's that's a dawning cartogram so there's varieties, but in some way or other, they all share a common theme, which is they're trying to um, get away from geography uh, and the problems that that creates for visually interpreting, uh, visually interpreting my dog, who's now <laughs> shouting across. Uh, yeah, for visual interpretation of, um, of, of of whatever the data is, and and on any map, surely that's the thing that you want to, you know, you want to have. Um, people look at is the patterns in the data and not just the pattern that the geography uh, leads the eye to believe. And when it comes to some of these different types of maps that you mentioned, which ones are people going to find in their normal or their go-to tools and where do you actually need a specialist to help create some of these? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the, the more specialist maps tend to have to be um, at least in some way uh, built manually through a, a series of you know um, mathematical juggling with the data whether it's the geography or um, you know building some of these um, cartograms can either be done through third-party software using algorithms or um, you know it's it's a whole mix of tools um, that you'll find in, in very many different places. But in most, most software, whether it's GIS or illustration uh, or um, through code, um, you know, you'll be able to find libraries and mechanisms and tutorials to get you to an endpoint in your preferred, uh, preferred mode of production. Mike has a question, which is, how can I most effectively show change over time on a map? Uh, great question. So. The, the, one of the problems with time on a map is, generally speaking, a map is a slice of time. And how do you, how do you 
how do you do how do you do this well one way is to animate uh you if you if you have a, a tool of production that will allow you to animate uh through a stack of images maybe you know 30 years worth of data uh, and you will see the change uh through time uh, the, the problem with that is you have to make sure you consistently um, encode the data so that you see that change as opposed to each map having a separate encoding of data that perhaps is unique to that range of, of data. Um, but I, I would tend towards something like the use of small multiples. Now, the, the drawback is you're, you're reducing the size of maps, so you're probably going to have to generalize. Uh, for instance, you probably would have to stick with state level data for the US as opposed to county level data. Uh, if you're going to make a series of 25 or 30 small multiples, which are each going to maybe only be an inch and a half wide. Uh, but small multiples are really good because it brings all of the time slices into view at once. And if you organize them, let's say top left to bottom right, there, there's a natural way of reading a set of small multiples that, that works pretty well, I find. Um, so animation or small multiples is generally the way I would, I would approach it. So I want to talk a little bit about your book. I have it here, so I'm going to show it for the virtue of those who are watching. So it is massive. It is, uh, I believe, 549 pages. And I just want to open up to a couple of spreads because it's also dense. But uh, And I, I've been telling my team, I think it's one of the most impressive books I've ever seen because there's so much information in it, and yet it's organized in such an easy to consume fashion uh which i, I guess would i'll be send this over expected. immediately <laughs> <laughs> to be expected right from someone who designs maps and thinks about visual hierarchy and uh knowing where you are and where you're going and all of that but can you tell us a little bit about the book um, and then i want to get into some topics sure. that are within the book as well so I had an idea for, well, okay, there's there's lots of backstories that I won't bore everyone with, but there's a couple of interesting ones. People have always said, right, you've got opinions, why don't you write a book? And I, I said, well, because I've got a bookshelf of books on cartography, and why don't people just go out and buy those? Yet they don't, right? Um, you know, books have a bookshelf. They have a lifespan. And, um, mm. you know, there's a lot of texts that I had when I was a student that, you know, a lot of the technology has changed massively, so you, you don't necessarily go back to some of those as often as you could. Um, and I proposed this book, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, 15 years ago, and it never really got off the ground because I was still, you know, doing the academia thing and writing books was never seen as something particularly valuable uh, for a university. Uh, and and then I, you know, when I moved, uh, moved to California, um, our company has its own press and I raised the issue, uh, the, the, um, the idea again and got a bit of traction. And really what I wanted it to be was just a scrapbook of everything I'd learned um, to put back, just to give back to, you know, the community that, um, you know, has shaped my life and career and from which I've, I've gained an enormous amount of enjoyment over, over the, the 30 odd years I've been in it. Um, and I knew I had one attempt at this, right? I had one shot at making what I thought was, you know, the mo the modern version of a cartography textbook. And it was very important to me that um, I was responsible for the layout as well, because most times with a, 
a book, you generate a manuscript and you might have some images and you hand it off to, um, you know, people who Someone then else. design the layout. <laughs> and I just said, no, I, I, if I'm going to be, you know, telling people what I think about cartography through the words, I've, I've also got to demonstrate it. Right. I've got to I've got to actually, you know, put money where my mouth is and um, stand behind every mark in that book. And uh, I had help from a couple of my uh, my excellent colleagues john nelson and wesley jones with um some of the illustrations that you see on the right hand of every spread but other than that every, every single mark in there is is mine that is one of wes's fantasy maps great uh so so that's a little bit about the book um i was also delighted that um i was given pretty much a free reign uh, to to develop it um, i obviously had great editorial uh, colleagues who found 22,000 errors that were corrected. Oh um, How long did it I, take you? Uh, three three years, maybe that that book about three years. Um, yeah, it's amazing what sort of. I mean, when I say errors, I'm just talking about you know a misplaced comma or sure. um, you know a, a slight glitch in where a graphic is placed and needed to be changed like a sixteenth of an inch or something. Yeah. And uh, but no, I had a problem with the Oxford comma as well that I can admit to now. So that was corrected. <laughs> so I, even though you're writing something, you're always learning at the same time. And uh, for me, it was a fascinating process to go through to, to write that book. Um, and it, 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 it's had some fantastic um, feedback. Pe people tend to tend to enjoy it and, and like like its format. And you know, I tried to do it as a, an alphabetic Yes. Uh, reference as opposed to by chapter, because most of the textbooks I have, I have on my shelf, cartography textbooks, they start off chapter one, the earth, which then leads immediately to map projections. And uh, I've, I've, you've lost people by then. You know, map, proje map projections are uh, critical, absolutely vital. Um, and it's so important to making a, making a, a better map but kicking off a textbook with all that math is not necessarily the way to, to pull people in and then you have chapters on color and you have chapters on typography and you have chapters on layout and you don't make a map like that you don't make a map in that linear way you, do, you don't choose your projection and then you know choose your colors and then you apply your type it, it, it's it's much bigger soup so i wanted a book that was going to allow people to dive in at different places and find that nugget of information that helps them with a, a very specific immediate task um, that, you know, the following day they might have a very different mapping task to do on the same, same map. But Yeah. And just to give folks a sense. So I, in, I would say anyone who is putting data into anything, right. It could be maps. It could be graphs that the, that they're, is excellent information in here to be able to be more thoughtful about how you're doing that. Um, I'm just going to flip through a couple of pages just to give folks a sense of the breadth of the kinds of topics that are in here. So each each two side facing spread is the topic on the left and then an image on the right. And so it's bite sized in terms of you get everything. It, relative to the given topic in two pages and then links to elsewhere in the book to read related things. Um, but so I'm in the G's right now. Graphic and dynamic labeling, graphicacy, which we talked about a little bit. Oh, I'm in the graph section here. I'll skip to another one. 
like here's a page of a jack-o'-lantern maps, old is new again, open street maps, ordinal data. So you get a lot of insight into things behind the scenes as well, orientation. Yeah, there's all sorts of great stuff. So I highly would recommend it for anyone for sure who's doing anything with maps, but I think anyone who's doing anything with data stands to benefit a lot from the information that you've shared there. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it was it was built for two audiences, both the beginner and the experienced, and and that drove drove the, my colleagues in the publishing uh, team spare because they wanted to know who who's who it was for, who's the target market, and I genuinely said, I, I think everybody, you know, software is made that anybody can use to make a map. Therefore, why wouldn't you have a book that appeals to that broad audience as well? So hopefully, beginners can pick it up and just find that bit of information all oh, right i'll use that instead of that that's a great outcome but um you know even as even as a as a, a professional as, as a, a desk guide or a monitor stand you know it has a it has a value and just there as a reference tool um yeah i, I can't i can't keep it all in my head so i'm, I'm glad right, I now you've got a you've made a reference for down. yourself right yeah absolutely <laughs> no there's things there's things in there that I, you know, I go back. Did I write? Yeah, I wrote that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, talk about one of the topics in the book that you and I chatted on briefly before as well, but maps as truth, right? You put something in a map and suddenly it has this precision uh, associated with it, but there's error and bias that goes into that. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean... Uh, unfortunately for anybody who wants to write a book on cartography, Mark Monnier already stole the best title for, for a book about maps with his how, how, how to lie with maps, you know, because all maps do lie to, to some extent or another, whether it's positional accuracy, whether it's uh, precision, whether it's in, that precision is implied or otherwise. Um, and does the map either have or need to convey any potential error, bias, uncertainty? Is the map wholly objective you know is it based on some sort of robotic sterile processing of data or is the map maker trying to put some of their own um, agenda in there either deliberately or sometimes you know by accident and you know you can take this to the natural extent of what we might refer to as propagandist cartography or persuasive cartography and there's a whole raft of work you can look at uh, particularly some of the posters and the maps that were made around the time of the second world war so amazing on, on all sides amazing maps that um you know painted a picture in very different ways for very different reasons and i guess what it really boils down to is um one person's truth can look very very different to another person's truth even though the same data is being used it can be manufactured in in many different ways to lead people down a particular visual path and you know in an ideal world of course every cartographer is, is wholly objective you know they're free of bias they're free of experiences that might shape what they do and how they do but in truth that's not the case and um, you know there are often times when i'll make a map and someone will look at it and go oh did you did you know that that you know that's that's interpreted in a particular way or, or I see that in a different way than you might and of course you have to step back and do a bit more of that thinking that I, that I mentioned so 
The other side to this equation is, of course, the map reading side. Mm -hmm. And everybody brings their own eyes to the work you've created. Um, and, and that's part of the cartographic challenge is how do you meet the objectives of creating a map that might need to appeal to an extremely broad church of uh, map reading eyes who might see things in wholly different different ways. Uh, and that's part of the art of cartography. It's, it's, it's not just making a map that looks good. It's about applying science well. And that science includes, you know, understanding an awful lot about human perception, human cognition um, and many, many of the biases that, that that we might put into a map or also which might underpin how the map is is read. It, it's that that's the challenge for a lot of making of maps is is understanding some of some of that and understanding how, you know, the different versions of the truth are going to be seen in a, in, in the map. And I hadn't heard a term put on that before, but in the book you talk about conceptual accuracy, right? So the, the location could be precise, but there's all this other stuff in terms that the, that the person who's creating the visualization is determining when it comes to what's included or omitted, how is it represented, right? The objectivity. So how do we make a map that's objective? <laughs> Can um, we make a map that's objective? Well, I think, um, and I included these in the book as well, um, Borden Dent's um, sort of code for cartographers, which yeah. I, I updated slightly. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll just very briefly read them. And, you know, I think they still apply. It's, you know, have a straightforward agenda. Strive to know your audience. Try not to intention intentionally lie. Always show all relevant data when possible, as in, you know, don't obscure or obfuscate things. Um, don't discard contrary data just because it's contrary to what it is you want to show. Strive for accurate portrayal of data. Avoid plagiarizing. Um, selecting symbols that don't bias the map. Um, the map, just like any piece of research, ought to be repeatable. You know, there shouldn't be some secret source in there that you know, only you know how you turned the data into that way. Um, and pay attention to different cultural values and principles. And I think these, you know, these this sort of code, um, I, I forget how many years, a couple of decades ago, here, these were written but I, I think still they're, they're reasonable to have in mind um, for, for anybody who's trying to trying to remain impartial but of course we have to also remember that many of us will be working for organizations that do not want us to make impartial maps we have to make a map that supports an organization's agenda um, you know or a style or we we, we I'm very lucky I get to make maps that are, are generally free from constraints, you know, because I'm demonstrating techniques and methods and ideas. Um, but many, many, many map makers um, work, work for organizations that will have an overarching requirement of their employers. So the map does come with inherent design bias. I mean, it might not, might not do any damage. It's just, you know, it might support a particular company need or, uh, even even a, a color scheme, you know, you you want the color scheme on your map to to fit the corporate style. That's that's a yeah, that's, that's a constraint. That's that's <laughs> that's a constraint, right? And and you have to work with it rather than try to try to go against it. Uh, but uh, I, mean, I mean, one of the examples that I I often I certainly used in the last few years when talking about this idea is um, 
you know, back in um, it's the start of 2017 after um, Donald Trump had had, uh, had beaten Hillary Clinton uh, to the presidency, and there was a very famous photograph taken in the in the corridors of the White House as as he and the staff were moving in, um, taken by uh, Trey Yinks, the reporter, and it showed uh, it showed um, a White House staffer putting ah excellent. It showed a White House staffer putting a map on the wall, and later um, Trump spoke about that map in, in an interview, and you know quoted you know well, look at all this red, this is all of us, uh, we won the election, and there was at the time there was quite a lot of uh, chat around, and certainly in data viz and mapping circles, quite a lot of chat about that map, and uh, a lot a lot of takes were very much of the opinion that the map was, you know, in some way incorrect. Because it was a standard diverging color scheme choropleth map showing the greater percentage of uh, share of vote uh, by county. So it goes back to that problem I mentioned earlier about geography. There are there are a lot of very sparsely populated counties that that were 95% plus um, Republican votes. So of course they're going to be dark red, and there's a lot of them, and um, you know a lot of the the Democrat votes are in very small geographies in and around major urban areas or towards the coasts. Well, what what, what happens? It creates a map that almost looks uniformly red, right? And, and why wouldn't you, as a Republican president who's just won the election, use that map? I'd put it on the wall. That's the map I'd choose. Um, it's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, technically. But of course, you know, if you can imagine, I think it was what, a couple of hundred thousand votes had gone the other way. And Clinton had won two or three other states, basically with hardly any difference in the data. Uh, that same picture could have been taken with a Clinton staffer putting a map on the wall that looked almost uniformly blue. And I've made that map. You can you can make those maps out of that that data. Again, it would be correct technically, and you know, in terms of who made it and. They're wanting to appeal to a particular base, and yeah, that's the map I would use. So it, it just goes to show that you, you can make two, at least two, if not more, maps of exactly the same data to look massively, massively different. Yeah, and so being aware of that, right, both as someone who produces visualizations and for sure as, as we're consuming different visualizations in the media and elsewhere, yeah, looking for that and seeing things through both lenses. This may be a good segue. We're almost out of time, but I want to make sure we talk at least a little bit about a new book that you're working on as well, right? Uh, it's finished. I've finished writing yeah. it. And you know that that last example segues nicely into into it. So it's it's all about thematic mapping, and its subtitle is currently something like 101 ways to visualize empirical data. So I take a single data set, and um, that data is the 2016 presidential election results, and I've made 101 maps of exactly the same data. Uh, although I should I should state that one chapter is called graphs, charts, and plots, so I specifically take a whole chapter. There's nine chapters I think in total. I take one chapter out of the maps and say, you know one what, maybe maybe <laughs> let, yeah, let's let's just give a nod to graphs, even though I said earlier <laughs> cartography is the subset, right? But I think I thought it was important to say, you know, sometimes the best map is no map, and to 
actually explore some of the fantastic ways that you can use graphs and charts to um, narrate the story. And you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of that in that we often see the, the strict red-blue state map uh, showing the results. And it's correct, right? It's states either go blue or red. And you know, you can then count up the electoral college votes that go with that. But what does the map show? I mean, it, it, it will almost predominantly veer towards the red. Certainly for you know many, many of the last few election cycles, just because of the geography and the big states that go red. But I, I like just a simple graphic bar. Well, why, why don't we just even use two? two numbers you know 302 or 320 versus whatever the other side i mean that's the result right you don't necessarily need the map to convey that so um, it's all written and hopefully we'll get it out as soon as we possibly can fantastic so I would like to talk more and I, I never know the time goes by so fast when I get to talk with someone else uh, and but we're almost out of time and so I want to move into closing from here you've shared a ton of great stuff with us right and one of the things that you mentioned near the end of the book and, and you mentioned earlier as well but that cartography has changed from maps made by the few to maps made by the many. And I know we've talked a little bit about some of the darker sides of that in terms of maybe not having the time and the thought and needing to actively carve out our intentions for that. But maybe we can wrap up by talking about some of the opportunity that comes with this, right? Anyone could potentially make a map now. How, how do yeah. you feel about that? I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. I mean, why, why wouldn't... Well, well, I mean, it's job security be a, to be an expert in a niche area, right? But, but actually, all it means is, you know, it's lucky. It's lucky for me because my my career is is helping and teaching people. So the more people there are to help and teach, that that's fantastic. Um, and I I would encourage anybody who, you know, wants to to experiment with cartography to to do just that and to to enjoy it and have fun with it. It it's it's a fantastic vehicle for playing with data, exploring something to do with the data and seeing what comes out at, 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 the, at the other end. I, 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 love, I love it. I, I don't think there's a better time to be a cartographer, a geographer, a map maker. Um, it, everything in the last decade has, has ramped up to give people the ability to basically get dirty with geographical data and make maps. Get dirty with geographical data and make maps. I like it. Ken, where can people follow your work? Um, at the moment, Twitter's the main mechanism for sharing what I do. Uh, I think it will continue to be so for a while. Uh, so I normally sort of, and, and I talk about football and beer and stuff there. So you have to take <laughs> the rough with the smooth. The maps I make are all available at carto.maps.arcgis.com. Um, you can go there to print out some of the print maps I've made or look at some of the web maps I've made, um, where I tend to try to explore map types and and create maps using what i think of best practices that that then people can just look at and steal um so that's that's kind of the two two main places great we'll put those in the show notes too for easy okay. access for folks I, but i also I, I write blogs for for esri my, my employer i also you know write on the international cartographic association blogs i have my own blog i'm basically 
out there somewhere, even though I'm stuck here. <laughs> Ken, any final thoughts to share with us today? Uh, yeah, I do. I do have one. Um, it, it's a, li- a little flow, but um, you know, we talk a lot about automation, but actually, cartography is a really a, a very human activity, and you don't have to be a cartographer to make a great, great map. And I'd, I'd just like to make the point that you know, some of the most recognisable maps of data were made by non-cartographers or people who hadn't had any, you know, formal cartographic training, but they were humans. They wanted to communicate data better. And if I just throw three names at you who I'm quite sure need no explanation, that would be Charles Minard, Florence Nightingale, Harry Beck. You know, those three people are responsible for three of possibly the most famous map-based data visualizations that you're ever likely to, to see. Uh, and none of them were cartographers. So that that proves that, you know, you don't need to be a cartographer to make a map. That said, um, getting advice from someone with a background or some experience in cartography will often help. And it can shortcut that compression of time that everybody has. So, you know, I, I, sometimes somebody will say to me, Ken, can you just cast your eyes on this map for five minutes? And in so doing, I might be able to pick up, you know, two or three very quick things that can be very simply implemented to make that map better. Um, and in that sense, collaboration is key. You know, we don't all know everything. I certainly don't. You know, I'm always asking for assistance and help and eyes on my maps, even if sometimes I don't like the, the response. Uh, you know, sometimes people just don't like your work, but um, collaboration is always going to improve improve your work. So I guess that's probably a decent place to stop. Yes, fantastic sentiment with which to end. Ken, it has been a pleasure to chat. Thank great. you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as I said, I definitely recommend Ken's book, Cartography. Stay tuned for his next Oh, that's next another $20. <laughs> Uh, I'll also take this as an opportunity to mention that the Storytelling with Data Challenge and our live event this month, uh, we're in March 2021 as we're recording this, are both focused on maps. So if you want to do more there, you can learn more at community.storytellingwithdata.com. And with that, for everyone watching and listening, I'll say thank you very much for tuning in.